back, everyone, and welcome to those of you who are joining us. I see we're live on Facebook, and those who will listen on uh, Podbean, iTunes, those who will watch, and all of that. So welcome, everyone. And uh, this is week number two of our Christmas series, The Cast of Christmas. The Cast of Christmas, all right? Um, so last week, we started this, and the whole idea is to recognize uh, a, a really good tradition that that more and more churches, even churches that are not liturgical, um, celebrate, and that is Advent. Uh, and Advent is the idea, it's a word that means the coming or the presence of something. And the Advent season uh, at Christmas is this idea that we recognize the coming, the presence of Jesus. And so we try to slow life down a little bit. Advent, I think, is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas itself. And there are different churches that observe different kinds of traditions when it comes to Advent. But I love just the idea of trying to slow it down. Because how many of you know that Christmas comes and Christmas goes? And it's like, ready or not, here it comes. And if we're being honest, most of the time, we're not ready for it. Uh, most of the time, life just keeps plugging away. And, oh, okay, here we have this Christmas thing. And it's almost like an interruption for some of us. It's sort of like, okay, I have to, I have to be positive And I have to be kind of joyful. And I have to be in a celebratory mood because it's Christmas. Especially if you go to church. You know, if you're a little bit miserable at Christmas. It's not, you know, you may not, you may feel a little strange, right? So we try to put this whole thing on sometimes, but oftentimes it's just sort of, oh, wow, you know, Christmas, okay, okay, and you, you have to you have to adjust everything, and then you maybe you start spending money, and then you start getting bills, and it's just sort of, okay, how do you really process Christmas? And that's why Advent is a really, really great tradition. So we're going to look at, um, uh, through the series, the prophets, the angels, the shepherds, the magi, and us, all right? So today we're covering the angels. Uh, last week we looked at the prophets. And when I say the prophets, I mean the prophets of the Old Testament. And um, we talked about how their message when it comes to, to Christmas is really one of preparation. So the Old Testament prophets, they would do two things. They would speak on behalf of God. This is what God says. Israel, this is what you, God has told you to do. Israel, here's the law of God. You know what it says. I'm reminding you this is the law of God. This is the word of God. This is the way you're supposed to live. And they would proclaim, proclaim, proclaim the word of God to the people. To speak on behalf of God to the people. But they would also see things that were to come. And one of those things that they saw, major theme, is that they saw this one who was to come, this ruler, this Messiah who was to come. And, and much of their message is about preparation. So we learned last week, uh, Christmas really began before Christmas, right? So Christmas, first three centuries of church history, Christmas wasn't even celebrated. If you walked up to Peter and Paul and the apostles and the people in the book of Acts and you said Merry Christmas to them, they'd say, we don't know what you're talking about. If you said, if you talked about the resurrection, 
they would understand what you were talking about. But the birth of Jesus specifically wasn't celebrated until like the third century uh, of, of church history, third, three and a half centuries later. And, and it's, a, it's a wonderful tradition, but we must understand this idea of God coming into the world as a person, as a human. This idea begins way before it actually happens. So we looked at Genesis 3.15, the first rough kind of prediction of this seed of the woman that would come in and that would conquer uh, the seed of the serpent and so deal this blow to the seed of the serpent. This is a rough prediction of the, the work of Jesus on the cross. First uh, Peter chapter 1, even angels long to look into these things, into the time to when the, the, the Christ would come. So Christmas begins way before Christmas. Preparation involves three things when you're talking about preparing for God. Uh, number one, this idea of repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart. Uh, uh, you could phrase it this way, a person gets, gets sick of their sin, just to put it in blunt language. There's a change that a person has on the inside. John the Baptist's message, his first words that came out of his mouth were, repent, repent, repent. So you've got to change your heart if you want to get ready for God you want to understand his coming, your heart needs a transformation in terms of the way that it looks at transgression and moral ethics and sin and so on. Preparation increases with expectation. So depending on who you're preparing for, you're going to expect more and you're going to prepare more. You know, if you're preparing for the, the prime minister of Canada to come to your house, that's a little different than preparing for your cousin Eddie, right? You're probably going to have a different expectation level and that we can call faith because you're expecting someone to come. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2, James chapter 2 talks about a faith that is productive, one that shows change in a person's life. They're living in a way that they believe someone's coming. Uh, and, and in this case, God. And prepara preparation results in transformation. You can call that fruit. So when a person repents and when a person believes, there is a transformation that takes place and something new starts growing out of the person's life. So the message of the prophets. And remember, we played a little game last week. Do you remember the game? All right, so we're, gonna, oh, we're just going to review that for two reasons. Number one, the people uh, who are watching the stream, the slides didn't get there. And that's, that's my fault. I didn't even upload them, all right? There's too many things to do, and I totally gapped on that. So now the people who are watching the stream will be able to see the slides, uh, but we'll just review this little multiple choice thing. And we, we handed out a couple of uh, little treats last week to the winners who didn't even get nine on nine. There's nine questions. I think one got five right and one got four right. So we said, okay, that's enough. But anyway, I read through the people's answers who, who participated in this. And I looked at it. I said, wow, we need to definitely review this, okay? Um, because here's, here's the deal. If you really want to know what Christmas is, defining Christmas as the birth of Christ, or if you really want to know that, you need to read only four chapters of the Bible to get a good start on that, okay? So Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. 
you read those four chapters, you're going to get a grip on Christmas as per the Gospels. Don't watch movies about it. Don't, don't look at Christmas cards about it. Read it from the source material, okay? Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 2. Then you can look at your Christmas cards and your Christmas movies and your Hallmark movies and all of those things. But you're going to see a difference between those things and what the Bible really says. Case in point, a few little reminders, all right? Remember this? So, for the journey to Bethlehem, how did Mary and Joseph get there? Did they walk? Did Joseph walk? Did Mary ride a donkey like we see in the movies? Did they ride a bus? The answer is, who knows? The Bible doesn't say at all how they made that journey to Bethlehem in response to Caesar Augustus' proclamation of a Caesar, of a, of a Caesar, of a census across the Roman Empire. We have no idea how they got there. We have a picture in our mind, but that picture is colored by tradition, not necessarily fact, okay? When Mary became pregnant, Joseph married her, or Joseph wanted to dissolve their relationship, or Mary left Nazareth for a while, or an angel told him to go to Bethlehem, or is it B and C, or is it B and D? It's B and C, okay? So Joseph wanted to dissolve their, their um, betrothal, which was like a legal engagement, like a legal marriage that hadn't been consummated yet, so the couple wasn't living together yet, but they were bound together legally. Joseph wanted to dissolve it because... She's pregnant. Obviously, she's been with a man, in his mind anyway. And so that happened. And, uh, and also, see, Mary left Nazareth for a while to visit who? Right, good, very good. Okay, so, so that's number two. Okay, number, number three. Who directed Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem in the first place? Was it Herod the Great? No. Was it an angel? No. Was it Caesar Augustus? Yes, it was. And no, it was not the Canadian Revenue agency. Okay. Uh, question number four, what song did the angels sing? Oh, little town of Bethlehem, joy to the world, glory to God in the highest. D, none of the above. I know all of you are thinking glory to God in the highest. Read the question carefully. The angels did not sing. And we'll talk about that today. Luke chapter two, the angels said glory to God in the highest. We sing, but the Bible doesn't say they sang. The Bible says that it's, they said, okay? Uh, baby Jesus was born in a cave, a manger, a hurry, a barn. We don't know. We don't know where he was born. We know they placed him after he was born in a manger, which is like a, like a, a feeding trough for an animal. That's all we know. We don't know where he was born specifically. We have various ideas on this, but the Bible doesn't say where he was born. What animals were present at Jesus' birth? Cows, sheep, camels, cows, sheep, donkeys, lions, tigers, bears. We have no clue. In fact, the Bible doesn't mention any animals present at the birth of Jesus. Doesn't state it at all. I know our Christmas cards do and the Christmas movies do, but the Bible doesn't say anything about that at all. Who saw the star over Bethlehem? Was it Mary and Joseph? Was it the shepherds? Was it the three kings? Was it B and C or none of the above? Read the question carefully. There were not three kings in the Bible. Okay, There's, they're referred to as uh, the Magi. 
Though they're not kings, they're a particular brand of stargazers uh, of a sort. Uh, and there were not three of them. It doesn't say how many there were. So the answer is none of the above, all right? I know that got some of you angry, but just read the Bible and you'll see. If you're going to be accurate, that's what it says. What did the innkeeper say to Mary and Joseph? I have a stable out back. Come back for the hol- uh, after the holidays. <laughs> There's no room in the inn, both A and C. It's none of the above because there was no innkeeper. Okay, it wasn't the Motel 6 where they arrived in Bethlehem and said, hey, let's go find a motel. Uh, No room in the inn. Uh, There are different views as to what the inn meant, right? The inn is the same word that's used for the upper room in the book of Acts, same Greek word. So we do know that there were these houses that they had back then, and there was an upper room and there was a lower room. So like a second floor and a first floor. And we do know that in the first floor of some of these houses, they would put animals for the night. We do know this. And the inn would would be the word that we translate into inn is the word that referred to that upper room where the humans would stay. So you have humans up here. You have animals down here in some of the homes. Is that what the inn referred to? We're not sure. But it sure didn't refer to a Hotel 6. You know, or Motel 6, there's no room uh, in the inn, okay? Uh, And here's the last question. When the wise men brought their gifts to Jesus, they found him in A, a manger, B, a house, C, vacation Bible school. D, none of the above. The answer is a house. And remember, read the scripture. The the wise men, Magi, they were not even there when Jesus was born. They appeared uh, probably up to two years later when Jesus was a child. And the text says in Matthew, they visited the child in the house. They were not there the day or the night when Jesus was born. I know all of our traditions say that, that they were, but the Bible doesn't say anything like that. All right. So I have another question for you. And I fired this out yesterday morning to see who would respond. And some of you did respond. By the way, when you do respond to any text that you get from me that are addressed to City Point family, and you respond, the rest of the family doesn't see it. Only I see it. Okay? So don't worry. You can respond, and no one else is looking, just me. Okay? So here was the question I fired out yesterday. What was the name of the angel who appeared to Mary, and where else in the Bible is this angel mentioned? Okay, let's test your knowledge. Is it A, Michael, and he's also in the book of Jude? Is it B, Abaddon, and he's also in the book of Revelation? Was it C, Gabriel, and he's also in the book of Daniel? Or is it D, Raphael, from the book of Tobit? How many say A? How many say B? How many say C? Oh, they say in multiple choice, if you go for C, you're generally, if you're guessing and you go for C, you might do it right. How many of you say D? Okay, you are right. Okay, so it's Gabriel from the book of Daniel. Now, all those angels that I mentioned are actually in those books, except letter D is curious because that's from the Apocrypha, okay? The book of Tobit is not in the 66 books of the, of the Protestant canon, but it's in the Apocrypha. So anyway, Gabriel from the book of Daniel, why do I mention this to you? Because we're going to talk about the angels today and one specific thing that the angels mentioned, said, not sang, uh, and that is the message of peace that the angels said. 
Uh, it is a curious thing when you look at Gabriel and the book of Daniel, uh, and this you can do on your own, there is a marvelous connection between the mention of Gabriel in the book of Daniel and the Christmas story. It is a magni marvelous, magnificent connection because if you read Daniel, in particular chapter 9, and I've got it open in front of me, uh, just uh, like five verses or three verses, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 9 verses 25 to 27. You can read that on your own, okay? I'll mention it again. Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 to 27. This is the angel Gabriel explaining to the prophet Daniel a picture of the future. It's back in his time, way before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. But he's explaining to Daniel a whole picture, like a panoramic picture of the future right up in, until the time where God seals up the whole thing and where the eternal state is ushered in and where the, the even the second coming of Jesus happens. But he gives him a whole picture, including in the mind of many, many scholars, the exact time that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem for the last time before he was executed executed on the cross. And then you have Gabriel of all the of all the people who are all the creatures in the Bible that you could think of or all the people in the Bible you could think of that appeared to Mary to announce to Mary that she's going to bear this child. Guess who it is? Gabriel. The same Gabriel who predicts the time of this in Daniel chapter 9 centuries before. I challenge you to read it. It's a piece of of um, of uh, scripture we call the 70 weeks prophecy. Daniel chapter 9 verses 25 to 27. Just for your interest there, it's a bit of an aside. But the message of peace that the angels had, you will find in Luke chapter 2 verses 8 to 15. All right, there were angels living out, uh, sorry, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. You know, in the old King James, this reads beautifully, you know, and they were terrified. Old King James, they were sore afraid. Right? And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah or the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, or in the King James, swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger, that feeding trough that they put Jesus in after he was born. And here it is, verse 13, suddenly a great company, in the Greek language, it's a plethora strathia, I think. It's like a vast, vast number that's being referred to there. So a great company, probably thousands, who knows, tens of thousands of, of the heavenly host, this is a term to refer to angelic beings appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests peace 
to those on whom his favor rests. And then the angels leave and uh, they disappear. And the shepherds, they say, well, we need to go and check this out because it's not every, every day that we see what we just saw. Uh, when you look at the activity of angels in the Christmas narrative, you see quite a lot of stuff. So you can spend a lot of time just looking at, at the way that they're interacting with people and what they're doing. I know for some of you in the room or some of you watching, you're saying, angels, you guys really believe in angels? Well, look, give it the benefit of the doubt for the time being. Because you have a lot of mentions of these things in uh, the Christmas narrative and the way that Matthew writes and the way that Luke writes is as if those things really happened and those things are real. They take pains to set the story in a real context as if they were actually witnesses or they knew people who saw it themselves. So I challenge you to give them the benefit of the doubt, even if you're a skeptic who's, who's watching or who's listening uh, uh, this morning. So this, this message of peace is just what I want to center in for the next, uh, center on in, center on for the next few moments. I'm all over the place this morning. So uh, just a few things about peace. Um, as per the angel's message. Peace with God. Not talking about peace with other people necessarily, but peace with God is something that we see that is offered as a gift to humanity. And when I say it's offered as a gift, it cannot be earned. It cannot be purchased. It cannot be worked up to to get it is something that is offered freely to humanity it is a gift and this we have an enormous problem with the idea that God would give us something that we don't have to do anything to earn people do not believe that this is true and the peace that is being spoken of here by these angels, this is not a sort of, a, well, Jesus is going to come and there's going to be world peace. That's not what they're referring to. They're referring to a peace from God that comes on a person on whom his favor rests. So there's something between God and that person that produces peace. And it is God who has made the initiative, God who has made the offer, and God who is presenting the gift. It cannot be earned. I saw an illustration of this this week as we delivered those Christmas baskets over to Good Shepherd Elementary School. We had a dozen of them. And the principal, who, who we know well, she's just like overwhelmed. And she said, you know, there are people who say, what's the catch? Why are you doing this? Why are you giving us these things? They must be expired or something. I mean, it's very skeptical, very much a layer of skepticism toward a free gift, no strings attached, just a church deciding to be generous and bless some people in the community in a, in a school where they've got some families who are in need there. Why would you do that? Surely we have to do something to get that. Surely there must be a catch. Surely the food's expired. I mean, surely there's got to be something. No, there's nothing. Wow, imagine that. Well, this is, a, this is a picture of what God has done for humanity. He gives this free offer that you can have peace with him. And he offers it. He offers it freely. It cannot be earned. It is extended to us. 
illustration of this, Luke chapter 7. So the same gospel of Luke, just a few chapters later. And you'll see this in Luke many, many times, examples of this. And you have a, a woman who uh, appears at a, at a dinner that Jesus is invited to. And um, it's, there's a Pharisee who invites Jesus to his house. And there's this woman who's there. And this woman is kind of behind Jesus, if you'll picture the scene. And she's, she's weeping. She's, she's crying profusely. And so much so that her tears are, are actually getting on his feet. She's kneeling at his feet. Uh, she wipes her his feet with her hair. There's that much emotion displayed from this woman. And she kisses his feet. She takes perfume and pours perfume onto his feet. And the, the Pharisee, the ultra-religious guy who had invited Jesus to the house, Jesus is a public figure at this point. He's known as this rabbi. There's a lot of questions about him. And this Pharisee invites him to his house really to trap him. And uh, the Pharisee thinks to himself, we're told, well, there's no, this, this Jesus here who's sitting in front of me, if he is who people say he is, then he would not let this woman touch him because he would know what kind of woman this is. This is, this woman is a sinner. We don't know what her sin was, but we can maybe guess. And so he would not let this woman touch her. And look, this woman is at his feet. This woman is kneeling in front of him. She, she's so emotional. Her tears are, I mean, this is a ridiculous scene. In the mind of the Pharisee. And of course Jesus right on point. Calls the Pharisee by name. And he says. And he says let me teach you something. Let me tell you something. And the Pharisee says. Well tell me. <laughs> Bad idea. Don't say that to Jesus. Okay. Bad idea. You're getting set up for something. So Jesus. In customary Jesus fashion. He tells a story. He says let me tell you. There's two people. And they owed money to a certain uh, money lender. Two people. And one of them owned, uh, in, in their time, 500 denarii. A denarii is like a day's wage. So you could say, you know, a year and a half salary. Okay, 500 denarii. So one of them owed a year and a half's wage, and the other owed 50 denarii, which would be, let's say, a month and a half's wage. Okay? And so neither of them had the money. Are you following me, Mr. Pharisee? Jesus saying, you know, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So what does he do, this money lender? He gives them a gift. And he says, your debts are canceled. Merry Christmas. Okay, if you put it in that language. He cancels the debts of both. And so Jesus turns the table on this Pharisee and he says, so let me ask you a question. Who do you think is going to love the money lender more? Which, which person? The one who's been forgiven the year and a half's wages of debt or the one of the month and a half? So what do you think, Mr. Pharisee? And the Pharisee replies, he says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Duh. <laughs> and Jesus says, you got it right. You did the multiple choice correctly. You have judged correctly. And then he turns to the woman and he says to this Pharisee, calls him by name. Do you see this woman? Simon is his name. I came into your house and you're the religious guy. I came into your house. You didn't give me any water. For my feet, which was the custom of the day. But she did with her tears. So emotional in my presence. But you apparently not, don't, don't care so much. But she's so emotional. Even her tears produce that amount of water. And she wipes them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. Which was a custom in that day. But this woman from the time I entered the house. Has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not pour oil on my head. We do see in some traditions that was a custom when you invited a guest into your house. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Look at her reaction because she understands who I am. She understands the gift of peace that I have given to her. She already gets it and you don't even get it at all. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Her many sins have have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She received that free gift of peace from God. And it's very evident in the way that she is living and her display of worship to me. And this is, this is the whole point of the, the, the Christmas story and the, the greater message of salvation. God extends a gift to humanity that cannot be earned. Jesus did the work for that gift to be presented to us. He did it for us on that cross and through the empty tomb. We have have a choice as to what to do with it, but the work has been done by God himself in the person of Jesus. That's the good news. You cannot earn it. No matter what you do to try, you never will be good enough to get it. It has to be received by grace and, and opened. And I'll tell you how to open it in just a moment. Um, So the peace with God is this idea that the person is now set free from the sin that has bound their life. This woman, according to the Pharisee, she's a sinner. And Jesus says, no, her, her many sins have been forgiven. She is justified before God because of it. And so there's this peace that comes because between you and your creator, there is no wall. There is no barrier. You now have the peace of God because you're set free from your sin. This is what this woman experienced. So what does that do for us in our life today? And what does it mean for us, especially at this time in the holiday season at Christmas? In, in, in a very, very practical way, are you this Christmas... Maybe you've experienced the gift of God and the gift of the peace of God. Well, are you this Christmas a peacemaker or a peacekeeper? And there is a difference between the two. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, Jesus said what? Blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So it's the work of God when you're making peace, not just keeping peace. How many of you know it's easier to keep the peace than to make peace? So the holiday season is upon us, and what do you have? You have people who come together. Um, it, it's ironically the, the, the busy season for the transmission of viruses. 
right? Because people are together. <laughs> people come together. They, they, they're going to come to the movies next week and watch Star Wars. There's going to be thousands of people here. Uh, probably on Sunday, they'll probably do like thousands of people. It's the opening weekend of Star Wars. People come together. People have dinner together. People have office parties together. They come together. It's ironically, a lot of viruses can be transmitted. But for a lot of people, even more difficult than that is, oh, brother, I've got to be with this person once again. I have to be with my cousin Eddie, you know. I have to be with aunt so-and-so. I have to be with the in-laws or the outlaws or this person at the office party or that person at the office party or this relative who I only see, you know, at Christmas time. And the truth is, we don't really like each other. So hopefully, we'll just keep the peace. And hopefully, when we're sitting at dinner, we just keep the peace, and this won't be like the Griswold family Christmas, you know, from the, from the movie. I don't know if any of you know that movie, but anyway, it, it, it'll be, it won't be like a Saturday Night Live episode, you know, Christmas dinner, but we'll just keep the peace. And when so-and-so starts up, you know, they're selfish, they're arrogant, they're narcissistic, they're obnoxious, they love to argue, they love to be right all the time, they like to talk about politics and Donald Trump all the time, and I just don't want to talk to that person, I don't, you know, I don't like Donald Trump, they do, or whatever, I don't like this person's wife, I don't like this person's boyfriend, I don't like this person's girlfriend, I have to sit with them for a couple of hours and have dinner with them, oh, brother, Merry Christmas. So are you going to keep the peace or are you going to actually make peace? Because the two are different. James chapter 3, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers, not peacekeepers, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. It's a mission of God to make peace with people. It's a mission of God to not just keep it and just keep the status quo, just tolerate. No, the mission of God is to actually make peace with people and to have right relationships with people and to deal with the thing that needs to be dealt with, to deal with the proverbial elephant in the room. That's what a peacemaker does. A peacekeeper says, well, no one's hurting anybody, so let's just, let's just keep it as is. Nobody needs to change anybody or just, let's just keep it as is. No, the mission of God goes way beyond that is to actually make peace with the person because that's what God did for us. The angels didn't say, you know, glory to God in the highest and tolerance to all of us on earth. And let's just keep the peace with everybody on earth and everybody can be happy because now Jesus is here. No, it's the peace of God that comes because God does something to make peace with humanity. This is why he came. So what will you do at the dinner table? What will you do in the office party? Will you keep the status quo? Or perhaps will you, will you take the bait of the person who wants to argue with you? Will you always want to be right? Will you always want to, I mean, uh, act in a way that's vengeful toward that person? Will you make assumptions about that person that may not be true? Will you be easily offended by that person? Maybe that person is obnoxious and narcissistic and 
for a reason. And maybe it might be interesting to get to what that reason is. That's a little bit more about making peace than keeping peace. Those of you who have kids or grandkids or you've, you've got nieces and nephews, you know, if you buy them every little last thing that they want for Christmas just to keep them happy, do you know who's going to be unhappy? You. Because you'll get, you're, you're the one who's going to have to pay for it in the end. And that little kid is going to play with that toy for five minutes. And then they're going to throw it in a corner somewhere. Well, we just want to keep them happy as long as they're happy. Well, is that really what God calls us to do? Just to keep people happy? Just to tolerate? No. God calls us to be peacemakers. That little kid, your grandkid, your kid, your niece, your nephew, sometimes the greatest gift that you can give them is to not give them what they want. Because maybe they'll learn, oh, Christmas isn't about me always getting what I want. Well, what's it really about then? You see? So are you going to be a peacemaker or are you going to be a peacekeeper? God would call you to the higher, more difficult task of making peace rather than, excuse me, keeping peace. So finally, how do you get there? Because you can't give what you don't have. You know, you, you, you want to you be and live Christianly. How are you going to do that? Boy, Simon, I'm starting to sound like you very quickly. Yeah, it's the trans, it, I told you, the transmission of these viruses, you know. Wow, this is amazing. Yeah, I should finish the message quick. Yeah. Okay, I'll keep trying here. So how do you open that gift? And some of you, uh, you, you think you have opened it, but the way that you apply it to your life has kind of trickled to uh, uh, an irrelevant process. It's not really that relevant to you anymore. So uh, Romans chapter 5. And again, this idea that God gives us something and we don't have to earn it. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. So, you look at the work of Jesus on the cross. You believe that he died as a substitute, an atonement for your sin. Do you know what that does? That sets you in a right place with your creator. You are justified before him. Uh, words, words to remember justified, just as if I never sinned. That's the way God looks at the person who has believed the applied work of Jesus to their life. God looks at them and says, you, my son, my daughter are clean in my eyes. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. That, that, that Pharisee thought that that woman was a sinner. Doesn't matter what he thinks. It matters what God thinks and what God says. And he declared that woman justified and righteous before him. Wow, that'll set you free on the inside. That'll give you peace on the inside. We have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in that grace. That is a wonderful, exciting, joyful truth, my friends. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Absolutely we should because we stand righteous before our Creator. 
We don't have to go run to that sin to give us happiness in our lives anymore. We now have God in our lives and that's what gives us lasting joy. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There has to be a moment where you cross that line and it's an authentic crossing of the line. It isn't just some sort of act or some sort of ritual or some sort of tradition. It's an authentic thing where the heart has made a decision to believe and it just comes out of the way that you, what you say. It comes out of your life. It comes out of your actions. This is the, the intent of the passage. Doesn't mean that someone who can't speak can't be saved. The idea is the heart has believed something and it is confessed through the mouth. So a decision has been made. There's been an authentic decision of faith in the heart of the person. And that transforms a person's life. And that is the message of Christmas. And that is the message of peace that these angels, this vast company of angels proclaimed and still proclaimed even to us today. Okay, so with that said, I'd, I'd like the, um, if we could have the lights turned on and uh, I don't know, maybe Terrence and, um, and Simon, if you guys want to come and you want to just play something in the background, you guys are really, really good together. We don't have Luciana, but it's just, just if you want to play, uh, that would be fine. But I just want to have a word of prayer with you because I, I do believe that there are people and, you know, many of you, you're people who are accustomed to church life and so on and you know the whole, the whole rigmarole of Christmas and all that. But this idea of the peace of God has escaped you. And it's not something that you, that you experience easily or that you grasp easily. You struggle to understand God's peace in your life. Uh, so I just want to have a moment of prayer with you if you are in that that particular situation, okay? So if you want to you close your eyes with me, whatever you're comfortable doing, but let me pray for you, God. I, I thank you for each one who's in this room, all in different stages of life, different uh, understandings uh, as to where they're at between them and you. Uh, but God, I pray specifically this Christmas season for that person who God is just at war on the inside. There is, a, there is a private battle that takes place every day. And we speak about peace. And in their minds right now as they listen, they say that that is the farthest thing from their own heart, from their own soul, from their own mind. And Lord, maybe they profess to know you and yet still struggle to somehow find peace in their own hearts. They can't sleep well at night agitated, frustrated, disappointed, discouraged, depressed all the time. I pray in the name of Jesus that the Spirit of God would just come into people's lives and breathe encouragement, God, and breathe hope and breathe peace into people's lives. Lord, I pray for people who are who are not necessarily looking forward to being together with whosoever this holiday season. I pray, Lord, that people would be making peace and not just keeping it. Lord, that we would push ourselves to something greater because you went to that cross for us. And Lord, I pray just 
that, that all of us together, wherever we are at, Lord, we would grow closer to you this Advent season. What a gift we have. May we continue to, to worship and express wonder and joy because of Jesus. We pray to that end and everyone said, Amen.